please take your Bibles and open to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, um, we're continuing our new sermon series entitled, That You May Know. Again, John's point as he writes this letter is that we may know who Jesus is, that we may know what our relationship to him is based on, and that we may have assurance of eternal life in his name. Now, last week, I gave you a lot of introductory information about John's about this letter of John. I won't rehash all of that this morning, but I will remind you that John is writing to these churches around Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, to address some false teachings that have crept into the church and started to divide the churches there. Now, this false teaching was most likely what is called an early form of Gnosticism or this secret knowledge that was basically going to lead people to a higher spiritual plane by teaching people that the flesh is really bad and the spirit is really good and so what I do in my body doesn't really affect my spirit Um, and so with that teaching also came this idea that Jesus Christ was not a real human being in the flesh that because Jesus is all good He must be some kind of spirit being, but not have a real human body. Well, the issue, though, is that John, the person who writes this letter, is an eyewitness. He saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He touched Jesus. He laid his head down on Jesus' chest. He knows who Jesus is. So coupled with this teaching, this dualism, spirit versus, you know, spirit versus the flesh, coupled with that was of, was of course this very lax um, teaching or act, lax attitude towards repentance and obedience to sin. Because if the spirit is good, what we do in the flesh doesn't ultimately matter. Because again, the flesh can't hurt or damage the soul. And that teaching, of course, is unbiblical, but it also led to real damage of believers regarding their growth and holiness. I mean, if our purpose is to, as we're redeemed, is to grow in Christ's likeness. If, if God has put a new spirit within us and God has filled us with His spirit and given us a new heart and a new nature, we are supposed to walk in holiness. We're supposed to walk in obedience. What we do in our body matters. Okay? So John is, begins this letter by addressing this issue head on. Okay? He's reminding them of the word of life that has been proclaimed to them, Jesus Christ who's come in the flesh, bringing with him eternal life through faith. And so John is going to continue that argument this morning, but he's going to press in on those false claims a little more deeply, okay? Now here's the overarching idea. So here's my main idea for the whole sermon. So if you want to write it down, this is it in a nutshell. When we come into a relationship with Christ, When you come into a relationship with Christ, you have a new relationship with God and sin. That's it in a nutshell. When you come into a relationship with Christ, you have a new relationship with God and a new relationship with sin. Now, let me use the illustration of marriage to help you understand that, okay? Let me use marriage. When you get married, or at least when you should... You come into a new relationship with your wife, gentlemen. That relationship is total commitment, total giving myself to my wife, everything to her, okay? 
That's the relationship. But did you know that at the same time that you make that commitment, that relationship to your wife, you come into a completely new relationship with every other woman in the world? They're not available. Okay? If, let me just give you, that's marriage advice 101 from your pastor. Okay? When you make a complete commitment to your wife, you are at the same time entering into a new relationship with every other woman on earth. Does that make sense? When I come into a relationship with Jesus, I come into a new relationship with him and then sin. Okay? I'm committed to Jesus. When I choose Jesus, I'm choosing him over every other relationship. And when I choose Jesus, I'm choosing him over sin. All right? So let's read what John has to say in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And listen to what he says, picking up on the theme of the message that he's proclaimed before concerning the word of life. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, the word of life, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So I want to break this into three basic sections, and you follow along with uh, the presentation. First, John begins with this claim, this overarching truth claim, that God is light. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, Jesus, the Son of God, and proclaim to you, believers, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So this is the message that they have been taught, that they have received through the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and the message is that God is light. Now, light is a major theme throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, right? Typically contrasted with darkness. If you go back to Genesis 1, the Bible opens up, God creates the heavens and the earth, and darkness is over the face of the deep, and then God speaks into existence light right? That light now fills the cosmos. He speaks it into existence. But light, as you go through the rest of the Old Testament, it carries, also carries the idea of revelation, the light of God's revelation or God's illumination as God reveals his nature, as God reveals his will, and as God reveals his purposes to his people. And light is also used particularly to the coming of God's Messiah, that there's this promise. Isaiah says that a light will come and dawn upon the Jews and the Gentiles, this one who's going to come and bring the fullness of God's revelation to his people. And this is part of John's point here, right? That Jesus is the revelation of God to us. John makes use of light, especially in regards to Jesus, throughout his gospel, right? If we were to go back to the beginning of John's gospel, then you would read this about Jesus, the Son of God who created all things and is himself light. It says there in John chapter 1 verse 4, In him was life, 
the word of life, this is the word of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the light coming into the world. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from there, if you were to go on, you would hear Jesus himself claiming to be the light of the world. That if anyone walks with me and fellowship with me, he will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus, if you take that all together, Jesus reveals the light of God, the life of God, and the glory of God. That's who Jesus is. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The very outshining of the glory of God he is the exact imprint of his nature. God, as the Nicene Creed says, Jesus is God of very God, light of very light. John's point is that God is light. God is holy. In him is no darkness at all, no sin, no shifting shadow. And that God has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus, the word of life, his son. That's who Jesus is. It is from that starting point that God is light. Jesus is the word of life, the word of light to us. It is from that point that John now turns to explain that those who are in relationship with this God who is light, if you're in relationship with this God who is light, through Christ, you will have, secondly, a new relationship with sin and darkness. God is light, as revealed through Christ Jesus, His Son. And if you're in relationship with Him, you will have a new relationship with sin and darkness. Okay? Light and darkness do not exist together. That's what happens. Okay? So, John, if you're going to look here closely, we're going to look at verse 6, 8, and 10 really quickly, okay? All of those verses, 6, 8, and 10, reveal the claims of these false teachers. John is going to address what they are claiming, and then he's going to give a counterclaim or the truth, okay? Now, these claims, these are the claims that are influencing and misleading these churches, and this is, why, this is how John is going to explain to them that they need to return to a proper understanding of their relationship to God, who is light. So, let's look at each of them. So, you can, you can kind of highlight them or circle them or underline them, but here are three claims of these false teachers. Number one, the first claim is in verse six. He says, if we say, this is what the false teachers are saying, if we say we have fellowship with him, the God who is light, while we walk in darkness. So that's the claim. We have fellowship with God while we are walking in darkness. Okay? The secessionists, these false teachers who are splitting the church, they are claiming they can have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. And again, this goes back to their theology of the spirit or soul being good and their flesh being evil. So they're most likely claiming something that said this, quote, I can maintain fellowship with God by my spirit or soul 
while continuing to sin and walk in darkness in my flesh. That's what they're claiming, okay? So I can give in to my sinful and fleshly desires and continue to fellowship with God by my spirit, and there's no problem. So what I do in my flesh doesn't ultimately matter to God, and so it shouldn't matter to other believers either. Do you all see how dangerous that is? It is basically a justification to be able to say, I can do what I want. Self-justification, I can do what I want, and still God must accept me. All right, but look what John's response to that claim is. John's response says, if you claim that, you lie and do not practice the truth. That's the truth. Your claim, I can maintain fellowship with God and still walk in darkness. John says, you lie and do not practice the truth. So John's response is simple. You are lying and you do not practice the truth, okay? Those are two great offenses. The first offense is you're lying about your relationship to God, who is light and not darkness. And secondly, you are not practicing what is true, right, or good. You are not reflecting the light of God, but you are running from that light into darkness. Now, there are two applications to that. Two applications. The first is this. You have to understand as a believer that sin absolutely affects your fellowship with God and other believers. Sin does affect your relationship to God and other believers. Now hear me, there is a caveat. While sin cannot break God's covenant with us or our relationship as his children, praise God, amen, sin can absolutely affect our intimacy and fellowship and communion right? It can absolutely affect our intimacy, fellowship, and communion. And the Bible is filled with commands and exhortations based on that truth. The Bible says about, about us taking communion together. If you, have a, if, a brother is, if you have something against your brother and you come here to make an offering, you better, leave, you better leave here and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. That your sin does affect your relationships. Or I could just I mean, just think of the way sin devastates people emotionally and spiritually. Whether it's through abuse or misappropriation of grace, sin absolutely wrecks communities, it wrecks marriages, it wrecks families, it wrecks churches, so obviously it can affect your relationship to God. That's the Bible truth. So that's the first application. Sin will affect your relationship with God and other believers. The second is this. There are many churchgoers that have a practical Gnosticism in their lives, this practical dualism in their lives, where they basically, they're, they're living just the way that John is warning about. They have their spiritual life on Sundays, and then their everyday life throughout the week. They separate what they do spiritually from how they live every day. That's what these people are doing. I can have fellowship with God and do whatever I want. And John's saying, that's not true. That's a lie, okay? To compartmentalize our life this way is to invite sin into your life to have dominion and to cut off the power of the gospel to transform every area of your life. The gospel is intended for every area of your life, not your Sunday morning life. Every single day. 
from how we do business to how we treat our spouse to how you plan for retirement, you cannot be dualistic. We are called to practice the truth on Sundays? No, every day. So that's the first thing. Second, notice the second claim. The second claim is in verse 8. The second claim is this. If we say we have no sin, most likely these false teachers are not claiming that they don't have a sin nature or desires for sin. That would probably be a bridge too far even for them. But what they're saying is that they currently or presently have no sin in their lives since they've been enlightened by their secret knowledge or by their coming into this new relationship with this knowledge. So what this means is they're saying that they're not guilty of present, current sin in their life. Now that's pretty convenient for me. That's that's a pretty convenient claim when your secret knowledge basically says that what I do in my body doesn't matter anyway. You see how that's convenient? Like, what I do in my body is not really sin because it doesn't affect my spirit. Well, then of course you can say that you have no sin, right? So that's the claim, okay? Now, here's John's response. Look at what John, so that's the claim. If we say we have no sin, look at John's response. If that's what you're saying, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John shines the light on the darkness of self-deception. To claim that you have no present sin is to deceive yourself. Amen? There is no deception like self-deception. There is no kind of deception that is greater than self-deception. Okay? We all deal with sin until we die. I used to joke, I I might joke anyway, I know a lot of Christians that no longer battle with sin. I do. I really know a lot of Christians that no longer battle with sin. You know what they all have in common? They're all buried. They're not living anymore in this body. Okay? Though we should, listen, we will all deal with sin until we die. Though we should grow and we should mature and we should fight to put sin to death, We will never have full and final victory until the resurrection. Now, while that is true, while that is true, that truth should not lead us to to, to give in to sin. It should lead us to fight it, to strive for holiness, because that is what we're called to in Christ Jesus. We want to be more like Him. We want to reflect His light and glory and walk in holiness. So don't be deceived. Don't trust your deceitful heart. Don't do it. I heard this story about a school teacher who lost her life savings in a business scheme that had been elaborately explained to her by a, by a scammer. And when her investment disappeared and her dream was shattered, she decided to go to the Better Business Bureau to report that she had been scammed. And this is how that conversation went. Why on earth didn't you come to us first, the official asked. Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? Oh, yes, said the lady very sadly. I've always known about you, but I didn't come because I was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. You know what that's called? Self-deception. All right? Now, listen. If you were to go back and read some of the ancient Greek philosophers, 
Socrates was asked one time to sum up all of his philosophical commandments, and he reduced it to basically this, know yourself. Know yourself. Know yourself. So even non-Christian philosophers and psychologists know that we are capable of great self-deception and that the path to true wisdom or to the quote-unquote good life is to overcome that deception. But the Bible teaches that the only way to overcome self-deception is through the gospel. Through the gospel. To know, that, to know who you are in light of God's holiness and God's provision for us in Jesus. To know, as Tim Keller says, that I am simultaneously far worse than I, have ever, than I could even imagine because of my sin... And I'm far more loved and forgiven in Christ than I could even dare to hope. That's the truth. I have sin presently in me. And it reminds me every day of my need for Jesus. And look at the third claim. The third claim is this. If we say we have not sinned. Now this claim is very similar to verse 8, but there's a tense change in the verb. So this is past tense. If we say we've not sinned. So in verse 8, the emphasis is on being guilty of present sin. That claim led to self-deception. Here, the emphasis is placed at the end on how God will respond to this claim. So look at John's response. So if you say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his, God is, and his word is not in us. This claim to be without sin, however you want to take it, not only leads to self-deception, but making God out to be a liar. Now listen, self-deception is one thing, and it's a bad thing. But making God out to be a liar is a different thing altogether. Okay? It's one thing to deceive yourself. It's another thing to make a, a claim against God that he's the one that's lying. Alright? That's different. So put all this together. Okay? The results of the claims of the false teachers are lying about God, not doing the truth, deceiving ourselves and demonstrating the truth is not in us, making God out to be a liar and showing that his word is not in us. The truth of God's word is that God is light and in him is no darkness. The truth of God's word is that sin does affect your relationship with God and other believers. So what are we to do? How do we respond? What is the actual path forward and that leads us to what John says in verses 7 and 9. Instead, we are to focus on number three, walking in the light. Not in darkness, walking in the light. Okay? So now look again at verses 6 and 7. Let's try to wrap this up. Look again at verses 6 and 7. Let's take the claims together, okay? John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's what the, the, the false teachers are saying, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, but, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John makes the connection, instead of lying, instead of not practicing the truth, the path to fellowship with God and one another is walking in the light, not in the darkness. So look at the promise here. John connects this with a promise. If we walk in the truth of the gospel by repentance and faith, we have fellowship with God, and Jesus cleanses us from sin. Because we have to know sin is there that needs to be cleansed. Saying we have no sin 
That's what they keep saying. We don't have sin. Saying we have no sin, what that does is it creates in you self-righteousness. This I don't need grace. It creates in you glorifying yourself. But the gospel, the way the gospel works, is that it kills that kind of pride by pointing us to our greatest need, which is forgiveness in Christ and fellowship with God. That's what the gospel does, that Jesus alone deserves glory and honor, and what we need is humility. We need need humility in light of God's grace, and you can't walk in the light while holding on to the darkening power of pride and self-righteousness. Those are contradictory. Do you see that? If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you're going to have to tell truth. You're going to have to speak truth about who you are and your need of Jesus. Truth. God is light. Light, God has nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. You know why, do you ever think why it's fun to play hide and seek? It's fun to play hide and seek, right? But is it more fun to play in the dark? Yeah. It's harder to play in the dark. It's not, you can't really play hide and seek in the light. It's easy to see people in the light. It's much more fun in the dark. God is light. We walk in his light, not in darkness, not hiding. Okay? Now, look at verses 8 and 9. He says there, this is the other claim and counterclaim. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So instead of deceiving ourselves with thoughts of sinlessness that stokes our pride, John tells us that the right response to sin is to bring them into the light of confession. Confession means to agree with God about what sin is. That's what it means. Confession means I agree with God about the truth of what sin is. Okay? Confession is not self-justification of ourselves. It's not defending ourselves. You know, it's kind of like those people who offer an apology. I'm sorry you feel this way. That's not an apology. Should I apologize for being the way I am? No. So we, confession is not, well, well, God, I'm sorry you feel this way. God, I'm sorry that you feel this way about my sin. That's not confession. Confession is agreeing with God. It is the agreement that what God calls sin is actually sin. But notice the promise that comes with this confession. When we rightly bring our sins into the light, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Now that goes to the heart of the gospel. God cannot wink at sin, and and he cannot simply let it go. Sin must be acted upon with judgment and justice in light of God's holiness. The gospel teaches us that God, instead of punishing us, laid our judgment on Jesus so that we could be forgiven. God's faithfulness to Christ is on the line when it comes to him forgiving us of our sin when we confess it. God doesn't begrudgingly forgive us when we confess our sin. It is an, it, when God acts to forgive us based on our confession, it is Him holding tightly to His faithfulness and justice in Jesus. That it is right 
and only right for me to forgive those that come to me by Christ whose sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. Okay? That is the truth of it. When we confess our sin, he is right and just to forgive us because we choose not to run into hiding and instead run to him. Isn't it funny how sin wants to make you run away from God and hide in dark places when the light of the gospel says, come and find grace. Come and look it in the eye, call it what it is, and kill its dominion over you. Bring it to the light. So, that's what we do. Confession of sin is confessing we need Jesus. I you to think about that today. And so often we want to hide and try to cover our sin. The Bible says confessing it is simply confessing you need Jesus. Do you know that's the first step of the gospel? You, you are not a Christian if you are not willing to admit you need a Savior. To come to Jesus is to admit and confess, I am a ruined sinner, and I have no hope outside of Jesus. So if you're not willing to confess your sin, all you're confessing is that you're not trusting Jesus. Where is forgiveness found? In Jesus. But I'm ashamed of what I've done. Good! Confess it, call it what it is, and find grace. That's the truth of the matter. Well, I'm afraid of what other people might think of me. Do they know they're sinners too? Then if not, maybe you ought to remind them. Hey, Martin Luther said, I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where to find bread. There's nothing good in me. That's what Paul says. I'm the chief of sinners. Paul didn't run and hide. I'm a self-righteous apostle. He said, no, I'm worse than all of you. Nobody's offended God more than me. I'm swimming in an ocean of grace. And if I'm swimming in grace, I better have a cup to offer somebody else who needs it. Think about that. So, we don't cover or hide our sin. We confess them, acknowledge them, bring them to the light, and repent. Now you go, well, Jacob, how does that practically work? Like this. Spend regular time in prayer confessing your sins to God. Every day you should be praying and confessing your sins to God. Practice it. Praise God and then confess, I know that sin. I call it what it is. And then I would say, you need to have one or two people in your life that you can be honest with about your sin. Some people call that accountability partners. But you better find some brother or sister that you can be honest with, who can pray for you and point you to Jesus by seeing sin the way God sees it. And when you do these things, let me help you, when you do these things, it demonstrates our willingness to acknowledge the truth that we're still struggling sinners who need a Savior. It acknowledges that we don't want to deceive ourselves or others. It shows that we don't want to continue allowing sin to rule over us because sin thrives in darkness. Did you know that? That's why every, um, every addiction program, the first step is what? You have to admit you have a problem. That's confession. That's why I find a lot more camaraderie with the addiction community, because at least they're honest. Honest, okay? So when we do these things, when we're honest, it acknowledges we don't want sin to do that, because sin thrives in darkness, but it dies in the light, and it shows that we want to have fellowship with God and other believers. I love what David says in Psalm 32. 
He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me of my sin. So here's my point as I conclude. John's point is that you should walk in light of the God, of, you should walk in the, in the light of God revealed in Jesus. You should walk in the light of his word. You should walk in the light of his truth. You should walk in the light of the gospel. So let's practice that today. Now some people in this room will have real concrete sins that they know they need to expose to the light. Every one of us in here has sins that we know need to be exposed to the light. All of us in here have secret sorrows, secret deep sins that we know need to be exposed to the light of the gospel. That it's only survived because it hasn't been brought to the light. Others need to stop deceiving themselves about how much progress they've made in holiness. Listen, no matter how much progress you've made in holiness, you are still a sinner, you still struggle, and you need to make sure you still continue to grow. So let's bring it to the light of Jesus and find grace. Would you pray with me? Father, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Father, we know this is a difficult text, but Father, I'm thankful that John is so brazenly honest. Father, that John knows that our relationship with you and our relationship with other believers and our growth and holiness is on the line. And Father, our relationship to Jesus should change our relationship to sin. So Father, may we not love sin, cherish sin, cling to sin, hide it away in dark places. But Father, may we expose it to the light of the gospel and find forgiveness and grace in Jesus. Father, speak to us now. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.